0: Welcome to Cloudlandia. Mr. Sullivan.
1: Ah, uh, Mr.
0: Jackson. Are you having a good mainland day? I am. I've been, yeah. you know, I've been having a combination of so far today, Been on the mainland and in Deanlandia, and there's that's a good combination. Now, yeah. here we are in Cloudlandia. Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, it's a beautiful day. We've had, actually, my... my Memory, we've had a fantastic summer in Toronto, mm-hmm. July and August, so far really great. You know. Well wow. when it rain when it rains it usually rains at night. And so the grass is all green. I've never seen the trees so green.
0: Oh, really well. Wow.
1: So it's been great. I've been reading about forest fires, you know, I've been mm-hmm. reading about hurricanes, typhoons,
0: volcanoes.
1: Not Toronto.
0: Well, we're going to have a apparently because of the ocean temperatures, we're in for a potentially turbulent hurricane season, which is just getting going here now. So everybody kind of you know straps in between now and end of October <coughs> to see what happens, right? We're always waiting for yeah, well, the news yeah. to let us know what you yeah. know when they put up the big red buzz saw. Making its way towards Florida to get everybody all suitably panicked.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: it's very interesting. The 1930s are still the hottest decade since the U.S. has had... Oh, really? Temperature readings. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the big thing is that we have so much news now. Everybody's a newscaster now with their cell phone. So what goes what's gotten exponentially greater is actually people's re- reaction to the weather you know and yeah and the uh, yeah. yeah. uh, climate i've never experienced you know i'm 79 and to this day i have i've never experienced climate i've only experienced <laughs> weather it's, That's right. is right is it my feeling? you know i don't have a climate chip in my brain you know mm-hmm. it, you know a climate actually yeah you, do you know how it's it's the average of a year's temperature in a particular
0: spot. Right, exactly.
1: And the spot
0: where you're sitting
1: is different from the year than 100 yards away from where you're sitting.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, the whole, it's all different, right? Everything, that whole, yeah, I look at those as one of those things. We're certainly in, you know, an age, like you said with the news there, that everybody, you know, I mean, when you look at from, you know, I think about the big change again. When we went from you know, no new you know, the local town prior kind of thing, mm-hmm. the voice of what's going on. To when we got to <laughs> a unified voice of you know, the when the radio and the television became the unifying that's really what it was. It was a unifying thing yeah. for the first 30 years of it. And then when the affiliate, you know, the network kind of thing allowed local voices to be, you know, you got the, in the beginning, it was when you were born, all it was the national radio and national television, right? The television wasn't even a thing when you were born in 1944. Not in the parties right? No. In the 40s. No. So when you were no. a young boy, you got your first, Based on Howdy Doody, I mean that was that was something, I guess. Huh? Everybody got introduced to Howdy Doody at the time. Yeah, same I was time. near.
1: Near as I can figure, it was like 1953, maybe mm-hmm. 1953. that I became yeah. aware of television because some uh-huh. neighbors had it, and and you know, and it was the three, you know, ABC, CBS, NBC. But right, then where exactly. we lived in Ohio, we got Canadian Broadcasting Corporation from Windsor. Okay. Windsor uh-huh, right. was the biggest city. So yeah. I was aware that there, there was this
0: other other country. country across yeah. the lake. You know. and, um, and so it's yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? That then, you know, by the time we got to 1980, we ended up, we had 13 channels. That was a big, that was a big jump mm-hmm. in the next 30 years but all of those 13 channels were both distributing the national content of ABC, NBC and CBS mm-hmm. but they were also producing local content. And now mm-hmm. we're at a situation so you had, you know, 13 channels with multiple, you know, regional voices the mm-hmm. market affiliates. Ma- affiliates, right. Mm-hmm. And now we're mm-hmm. at a stage where there are you know 5 billion voices all going through <laughs> the three yeah. you know that was yeah. funny because we've yeah. come down to the channels are the same in terms of Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Mr. You B know, there's Mr. B yeah <laughs> right well he's <laughs> part of the YouTube network there you know but not yeah. now the platforms are there but everybody but there's a you know billions of voices on those Mm -hmm. same things. And that's where I see that this next 30 years Mm -hmm. or however long, I don't know how long it'll be because you can't imagine what Mm -hmm. you can't imagine, but I don't see anything on the horizon. That's going to seems like it feels like all the pieces have locked into place for a period you know asymptotic plateau of creativity now that everybody of reach everybody's got access to it yeah it's really Mm -hmm. fascinating to me and you're
1: absolutely right that i have never had the experience of imagining something that i couldn't imagine
0: (laughs) exactly
1: that's right (laughs) somebody had the first thought to imagine it you know
0: yeah, I was thinking I mean,
1: I, I had an interesting uh, project pro- project a sudden project this week. Do you know Matt Upchurch? Have you ever, do you remember Matthew Upchurch?
0: Mm, Matt Matt,
1: Matt Matt's the founder and owner of Virtuoso, and Virtuoso is the biggest network in the world of affluent travel agents. Uh, agents. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, uh, I'm
0: a member actually. Now that I think about it.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. what, okay. Yeah, and they have this very posh magazine that comes out every, yeah. every quarter, every month. That's and right, you know. yeah, I get
0: it, from uh, yeah. Steve Sims, yeah. Yeah,
1: and he was, Matt was in the program a couple of times. He was in the 90s, and then early, I think he came in right, right around late 90s, then was in the 2000s, and then I think he was there in the teens. And but in 2003, so 20 years ago, right about now, I was guest speaker at his annual conference at the Bellagio in Las Vegas, and I think uh-huh. about 2,000 there are about 2,000 uh-huh. travel agents there, and uh-huh. uh, there's a lot of travel companies there too, like hotels and resorts and cruise lines, you know, and they have sort of a rapid get to know you. Sort of day, you know, when you meet somebody for ten minutes, and then you meet for another ten minutes, and then you meet for another Mm -hmm. ten minutes. Rapid network, uh, right? Yeah. So I gave a talk, and I created a workbook, and so it was probably about a ninety-minute talk with about an hour of Q and A, and then you know, then there was a half hour afterwards where people just mingled. And but what I was telling them about was the because of digitization. That so much of the standard travel agency business was going to be completely commoditized by Expedia and, you know, like that type of thing. And so, and I gave a set of predictions. And, but I also said that there's a bypass to all this. If you master DOS, the dangers, opportunities and the strengths, and you just zero in very deep on your best clients. And you identify when they're traveling, what are the dangers that they experience? In other words, they could lose something. What what are the opportunities that they could gain something and the strengths that they have? And as a test example, I did it on Babs and me, showing that, that how we like to travel and, you know, experiences that we really don't like having, experiences that we love happening and mm-hmm. the strengths that we have to really enjoy and explore a particular type of experiences. Okay. And I gave that to them and talked it through, but I gave as an example, a hotel resort in Ravello in Italy. So the Amalfi Coast, you know, you get south of Naples and you get, you know, Erno and you get Tano and Amalfi and Rave- Ravello. There's a like four in the island of Capri is just offshore. Really classically beautiful and luxury type of setting. And it was, and I'm not, I can't quite remember, but I think it was probably might have been right near the end of the 90s that we had gone there because we were going on a hiking tour with a group of people for about six days on the Amalfi coast. And, but before we went for about three days and stayed at the, resort in ravella which is called the palazzo sasso and it's beautiful it sits way up high it's a couple hundred feet off the the water there you know the that part of the mediterranean i don't think it's exactly called the mediterranean there but it's part of the mediterranean Mm -hmm. and you can see down the coastline easily 50 miles and our staff had told the staff of the resort that it was my birthday, so the second day was my birthday. And from morning till night, everybody in the hotel said, Happy birthday, Mr. Sullivan. Happy birthday. You know. <laughs> and then they there there were nonstop treats throughout the day. Breakfast, lunch, uh-huh. dinner. There, there, there were treats. And they communicated to the conference, the Bellagio conference virtuoso. I communicated that's how I like that type of treatment. I like yeah, right, I like, exactly. I like that when my treatment is like every day's my birthday. And so anyway, a really neat little reward for my talk was that then after I got talking, there were a lot of people came up, shook my hand and everything. And this little man came up and he had almost tears in his eyes. And he says, Mr. Sullivan, I'm the general manager of the Palazzo Sesso. Oh, and oh, I don't I can't I, I can't express to you what you've done for my trip to Las Vegas. He said, wow. everything I could have possibly hoped for here, you know, because there's yeah competitors. The whole room is filled with yeah. competitors. They're gonna spend their money yeah. on something, you know? Yeah, and, and so anyway, it was really funny. And that's it, I didn't remember this really for, I never used that particular approach again. And, and so we got a call that they're at their same meeting this year and they have 5,000. They have five thousand now, because Virtuoso has really grown, yeah, and they had they asked if I could do an update on what I had predicted, and I went through it, and I said, "Well, everything you know, I mean once you grasp the technology, if you're just giving a standard service, technology is going to commoditize you. You know, there's I mean, that that's not such a great prediction backwards. <laughs> that's funny. But yeah. you, can't, you know, that, yeah.
0: you're on the right path. I mean, you can't digitize. Yeah. That experience yeah. that you have. So and they
1: asked me if I had any further thoughts of what the next 20 years would look like. And I'm right on the spot. I said, well, the world's going to change. Everything that you've been experiencing for the last 20 years is going to change much more drastically than it changed over the last 20 years. And the reason is, I call it the four, I just nicknamed this the four slowdowns, okay. And I said there's okay, going to be four is, slowdowns. This
0: feels like breaking news right here.
1: Well, this is like Cloudlandia. I mean, this okay. uh, I had to give you that background just to
0: yeah. be accepted, accepted
1: as a Cloudlandia idea. You know, the, I mean, there's tough hmm. standards. There's tough standards to yes, even be exactly. able to. Listen in on Cloudlandia, let alone speak on Cloudlandia. And I said, the first thing is the cost of money is going to go up. And we call, in most places, we call that inflation. So, right around the world, there's just massive inflation, except for those places that have already been so undermined by inflation that they're now in deflation. And there's one big place where that's happening right now. And then the deflation is where you deflation is where the value of everything starts going down significantly. It's not just the cost of things. Inflation is really a function that things that you really want are going to cost you more. And so we're, you know, for about 20 years, we sat at around 1%, 2%, you know, it was the lowest inflation period since the Probably the last 20 years have been up until COVID was the lowest the, inflation. So the cost of money, and that means borrowing money, is going to cost you a lot. And, you know, here in Canada, it's around 7, 7%, seven you know, 7% to get bank loans. And the U.S. is more or less the same. Second thing is the cost of energy is going way up in most of the world. Okay, and I'm going to make a proviso where, where I say, In most of the world, it's going to. So just prior to COVID, the cost of transportation, the overall cost of transportation to get anything in the world, anywhere else in the world was 1% of final Mm -hmm. product. So, you know, you get something from 10,000 miles away. The transportation cost of that was 1% of the final cost. And I would say, well, first of all, there's places where it's gone 100%. Mm-hmm. Russia is being one of, one of the places. Russia shipping anything in the world, it costs them 100%. They, and the reason is they can't get insurance for any freighter, you know, freighter uh-huh. that le- that goes into a Russian port. Automatically, none of the big um, global insurance companies will insure it. You just can't get insurance. Mm-hmm that's not just Russian boats, that's that's anybody's boat. If you go into Russian territory and they don't mm-hmm. have that many ports, they've got about four points. I mean, they're eleven time zones wide and they've got about four meaningful ports. And mm-hmm. two of them are right in the war zone, Sevastopol and the Odessa are two big ports. And so they're you can't even get Nobody will take their boats into that area. So they're in, you know, I mean, the cost of transportation is really high when you can't transport. Right.
0: Exactly. You can't get there from here. Right. Yeah. And
1: then the third is the cost of energy, because one, the war is a particular situation, but the cost of energy has gone way, way up. We had really cheap energy over the last 20 years, and so now it's gonna go up. And this isn't a momentary thing, this is uh-huh. going to be, yeah. And then the fourth one is the cost of labor, especially skilled labor is gonna go way up. And 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 skilled labor covers a lot of things, but it's, it's basically that there would be competition to hire you if you were working someplace there would be competition from the outside that you would offer somebody more to move mm-hmm. from where they are and anyone who's got skills that would do that and uh, if you're so a uh, 18-year-old in Toronto today if they take a 10 week industry sponsored training course they'll get a certification at the end of 10 weeks and a year later they're making 60,000 dollars within 3 mm-hmm. or 4 years they're making 100,000 dollars and they'll never make less and there'll mm-hmm. be constant bidding because we've gone Basically, in North America, and a lot of parts of the world, we've gone probably 20, 30 years without any real emphasis on skilled labor.
0: Skilled yeah. labor. Skilled yeah. mainly labor, we, you mean? Yeah. Everybody's gone to the skilled cloud kind of labor. Yeah. Yeah. And sure. a lot of them
1: aren't. A lot of them,
0: there's so much of it, and that's being replaced by AI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Marketing. You're not going to have a. You're not going to have an AI sneaking your toilet. No, there won't be AI yeah.
1: plumbers, AI, AI, you know, you know right. AI, AI carpenters, AI, you know, all the skilled trades. And that's it. Every kind of factory work requires skilled training. And uh, know, you know, so anyway, an those, are, those uh, are the four slowdowns. So those are the four slowdowns. And the biggest thing that's going to slow down is technological experimentation innovation. That's going to, that's going to change. Really fast, and you could see at the end of starting in probably beginning of twenty two last year, there was more firings in the high tech industry than probably in any other industry just and the reason for that was they were hiring people for projects they were going to do ten years from now, okay, and they don't have the cap the money is too expensive to be paying for things that aren't going to get a payback in 10 years or so. So what I'm saying is and you brought this up it got me thinking the last podcast we had you brought up that we may now be in sort of a plateau period like you described yeah. the 50s to the 80s and I yeah. think we're got we're right now we're going back into a plateau period I where agree. there's a it lot was, of develop- there's a lot of development and a lot of
0: more productive uses of what we already have yes and that's what i think it is now it's going to be the application through those pipes you know just like the you know the iphone in 2007 that laid the groundwork for the app culture that brought us uber mm-hmm. and instagram and facebook and YouTube, all the big things that we, you know, use on that vehicle of the phone. And now it's really, uh, this is what I'm, this is what I'm fascinated by is who were the big winners and how was the big, uh, you know, adaptation to the tool set that was available in 1950. If you think about that as by 1950, we had, Television, radio, we had you know the plane travel, electricity, automobiles, all of those big things that were highlighted in the big change from nineteen hundred 1900 to nineteen fifty who were the big winners and continue to be the big winners of that period of an is it adapt you know being adaptive on that because it wasn't a big period of invention. It was a a capitalization of, you know, like you look at the packaged goods, you know, the consumer goods really boomed in the 50s and 60s through television advertising. You know, you Mm -hmm. look at Procter & Gamble and big, you know, packaged goods companies that knew if we just package up a product put it in front of the audience. We know everybody. We know 50 million, 53 million people or no 60 million people were watching, you know, I love Lucy in the fifth. And so those reach, you know, audiences, I think gun smoke was like a high watermark of the largest audience. Yeah. And then it started going down from there that, you know, I saw a chart where that was the peak. 61 million, I think, was the largest television audience in in 1960 something, whenever Gunsmoke was at its yeah. peak, and then yeah. by 1986, but then there were, like, it was the, uh, the Cosby Show.
1: Yeah, and then there were single events like Ed Sullivan or Elvis Presley. Yeah, well, everybody, lost the, the Beatles, the Beatles yeah. being on the Ed Sullivan Show. Yeah. And, yeah. So you had single events, you know. So that there were things like that. But as a series, yeah. I bet your. I think your numbers are dead on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And but now the number one wh- shows on television that, well, well, struggled what, what to get ten grow. million. What did grow
1: during that period? So I love that period. You know. So nineteen. Yeah. That's why I'm asking it you. Right, in my observation. Well, it. first of all, if you were in putting in. Super highways, that was a really big deal. Okay, because the Turnpike, the cross country interstate highway system, had just crossed Ohio probably around 1956 or 57. Okay, on its way to the West Coast. Okay, so that means, and the other states were building, but they weren't connected. They weren't connected yet. And the Ohio Turnpike was just a continuation of the New Jersey and Pennsylvania Turnpikes. Okay, Mm -hmm. And these were toll toll roads. Mm -hmm. So that was it. The other thing was an enormous movement of industry out of the big cities, the big northern cities. Mm -hmm. I grew up in northern Ohio, and Ohio was like the most powerful industrial state. In the United States, starting mm-hmm. probably in the nineteen or the eighteen eighteen eighties, eighteen nineties, and you know, and it was just a powerhouse. I mean, Pittsburgh was famous yeah. for steel, but in Ohio cities, Youngstown, yeah, Cleveland, Cleveland and, the rain, yeah, all right, yeah. Cleveland, Rain had as much steel as Pittsburgh did, but it was spread out yeah. over three countries and rubber yeah. for the. And it was all geared to Detroit. You know, all of a sudden the automobile industry really consolidated down to just the three con- c- companies. You know, there was just Ford, and well, That created the, that created the
0: suburbs. I mean, yeah, the that created the
1: sub- suburbs. Yeah, but the other thing was retail changed because every time you yeah. put one of these interstate highways in, you bypass small towns, and right. so you started so small town retail died, started to die in the 50s, because shopping centers and shopping malls went, would be be, maybe between two small towns, you know, or three small towns, but everybody wouldn't shop in their small town except for daily convenience, but they would go to the shopping mall, you know, so the 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 shopping shopping mall went through the industry. The other thing that's a whole industry, but it was air conditioning. Air conditioning. Yeah. Air conditioning allowed people to move industry, and you know, and commerce and everything to the south. You know, I mean, you wouldn't want to be in Orlando in the 1950s. Right. I mean, you wouldn't. You know, it's just too
0: too warm to do productive work. Right. But you know, I was, I'm recognizing now the pattern of. So we went from, you know, the general store to the main street in small towns to strip plazas in the 50s, 60s, to shopping malls in the 70s, 80s, 90s, to Amazon. You know, now Amazon is basically online where we get everything, every physical good, you know, that you could imagine mm-hmm. online is really the is really the thing. But that was a, that's an mm-hmm. interesting evolution, right? From Main Street to yeah. when we had automobiles and went suburban, it was the strip mall and then where you could drive your car up into the parking lot and go to the plaza where there was mm-hmm. all of the you know a collection anchored around a grocery store, perhaps you know, and a dry cleaner and putting everything mm-hmm. in one place. And then that led to the franchise as mm-hmm. a great thing because yeah. the homogen, that you created a homogenous, you know, vibe in the country by unifying everybody around the television. Everybody was seeing what leave it to beaver and, you know, that whole, all of those. Yeah, shows.
1: and people were now, yeah. And the other thing is that the the cars became more comfortable.
0: Mm-hmm. People could
1: go on long trips now. So, yeah, uh, I remember when you get, got air conditioning in the cars, you know, and, and so the, the other thing about it was the recorded music industry went through the roof in the yeah. 50s, 60s, because yeah. 45s came, 45s came in. 33 and a third came in, and, and 45 came yeah. in in the late 40s. 40s. And uh, but they, so the they, recorded.
0: Uh, the, be, yeah. Part of what drove the recorded music industry was that they had a discovery device of the radio that you mm-hmm. could play music over the radio, and that would draw, and they would be on bandstand and be on the Ed Sullivan yeah. show and be on the thing. Everybody would gain an awareness, and you know you could create that sensation which drove people to the local record store to buy the records and yeah that's where that really took off you know now we're in a situation where the you know it's certainly i think more of a meritocracy now in a way that anybody it' certainly you look at. Peter Diamandis's six Ds were certainly up into the democratizing (laughs) phase of that anybody could. I mean, you and I could make a hit song if we wanted to, and put it out, and we've got as much access to. I think we could have a hit
1: song made, Dean.
0: Yes. (laughs) <laughs> we apply <I> <laughs> uh, Yeah, we don't want to. We're not, <laughs> we applied ourselves: our sphere, our energy, our leadership, finance, uh, and finance. That's I, what I we think can it, do. It would upset our daily lifestyle if we were. <laughs> yeah, we could who not how. We could who not how. Yeah, a song.
1: right. But I had a really a great example of that on Friday morning. So I had a podcast to Belfast. Ireland, a great guy, and he's got a coaching program called, which is simple scaling, you know, helping entrepreneurs to scale their businesses. And it was great. He went, We went twice the allotted time because neither of us had a hard stop. And but you know, he's got a hundred thousand download audience around the world. He's in 100 countries, you know. Wow. And that's you and I, you and, but you and I have looked at this, you know, from a cost standpoint. I mean, once you bought your computer and you've got an Internet line, the rest of it's pretty, I mean, there isn't a lot of cost to this. But here guy, got, he's got a 100-country worldwide radio station, and he's got an audience yeah. of 100,000, you know. Yeah, and and it Rich. bypasses. Yeah. I mean, if you compare that back to what that would have taken, well, uh, let's go twenty five years ago. I mean, yeah. to achieve that twenty five years ago would have cost you so much more. You know.
0: Well, you uh, look at you know, Tucker
1: Carlson. That's a good example of, oh, right now.
0: Yeah, of what's happening? Tucker early, Carlson. I mean,
1: it's taken him about two or th- two or three months to sort of get used to it, and now his show is. More powerful than when he was on Fox because he went he's from got,
0: three million, three million to thirteen million average viewers. Yeah, yeah, and that's he's done that
1: in three months. You know, yeah.
0: I mean, he had, But now he here's was, the thing: is, you and I could do exactly... like this is where the thing is. The difference is the is reach. You know, it's not the capability. I mean, it's certainly you and I and anybody listening right now. Has the capability to create a vehicle, to create the podcast, to create a show, to create, let's just call it content, to create content that, you know, could have that kind of impact, but it's just reaches the ultimate scale of this, you know, and it's not, yeah. but that requires well, the, the, a the, the interesting
1: thing. thing is the more reach that you have, the more you acquire a new capability. To go along with it, you know, and the more your vision gets bigger as your reach gets bigger. It was like we have the same landlord, our building in Toronto. We don't own the building Uh because they don't sell their buildings. And it's a perfect building for us. But Labor Day, so we're a month within a month, we will have been there 32 years in that building. Yeah, you're the okay. anchor tenant. <laughs> yeah, we were the only tenant. <laughs> From about the middle of 2020 to the middle of 2022, we were the only yeah. tenant. And the check for them was there every month, anything yeah. like that. But about 15 years in, we haven't. I haven't talked to the landlord probably since 2000. I've talked to both of them socially. I've met them. You know, in social events, but I haven't talked to him. Let's say around 2011. So Mm. in the last, or 2001, Mm. I've probably talked to them in year 10 of our stay in their building. And and I was unusually, from his perspective, I was unusually funny that day. And he says, I don't remember, I don't remember, I don't remember you being that funny when you moved in. And I said, I find, my sense of humor is strictly a function of cash flow. Uh,
0: right, right, right. Yes, there, there's a correlation there.
1: For sure. The bigger the cash flow the bigger the cash flow, the bigger my sense of humor. Oh boy, that's <laughs> funny. Yeah, you should see you now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So so anyway, but it's very, really interesting how I you know, this is and he really we've had and the, the reason he did it is because of the book the um, 10 times is easier than two times. Okay. And first of all, the way I did the book, you know, with Ben Hardy, that probably was not possible 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Right. right? The way I did the book. Yeah. Because half the most profitable part of the book is not the book itself. It's actually the audible version of the book. I mean,
0: mm-hmm.
1: once you made your first audible recording, from the standpoint of the publisher, there's not really any cost, is there? You know. Right. And, uh, that's
0: exactly right. And,
1: and yet, it works out one to one for every you know paper book that's sold. There's another sale that's a virtual. It's either Kindle, you know, it's either ebook or it's yeah uh, or it's audible. And so that wasn't possible twenty, thirty years ago. So I yeah. think we're. Pointing out a direction here is that I think there's going to be two extraordinarily valuable world. I think high quality mainland activities are getting going to grow and grow and uh, what do you mean
0: by that I, what, when you
1: well, I think people had two years basically not going anywhere during covid yeah, and I think there are standards of go- of what they want to do if they go so somewhere has gone up but i'm yeah, going to take the them. effort i'm going to take the effort to travel you know i mean we never gave any thought to travel before covid i mean you like, were all around the world you were in australia I, you were every, every year all the time yeah yeah and you know you were in toronto you were in other places mm-hmm. in the united states and i think that it has to be something new better and different for you to yeah Really get on a plane and travel somewhere. And, you know, it's the same with me. And I've gotten about five speech offers, big, you know, big audiences, 500 to 2,000. And Mm -hmm. I said, I'll do it by Zoom, but I won't travel. I won't travel. And they said, you know, but, you know, and, you know, the price is, the price they're offering this year for speeches is way above what it was three years ago. Okay. And... But I said it's not the money; it's the time. It's the time right. and bother. I said, it's not the right, money. exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Are you seeing uh, a trend? Something... I mean, in your experience
0: and my experience, I think you can see a trend here. I am too. Yeah, exactly. That's. Well, I'll tell you what would be a new and unique and delightful experience is uh, my ears perked up to free zone in Toronto in April of next year. That yeah, that might be enough to get me on a plane. I'm very excited about that, actually.
1: But the well, that's, you know, well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, this I Well, I'm going to go back to my team. I said uh, I just got word for from Dean that he's really interested, and we said, well, it's a lot of work, but and you said we just have to have a offer for Dean that's compelling enough that he'll come to Toronto.
0: You see, that's
1: it. I mean, it might be a one, might be a one-person free zone, but
0: you know, it's worth it. <laughs> a table ten, we need a new table ten. That's what I really miss the most of any of
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the um, table's still there, but it's not ten. And at least. I mean, was, did anybody take and, over uh, Jacques?
0: Or not, it not, No, time? it's
1: something else. now. it's not. It's not a restaurant anymore.
0: Oh, that's a shame. Well, yeah. I, you know, I, when you were. Saying you know, thinking about the high quality ha- mainland experiences that yeah. I'm noticing here, so there seems to be a trend now that's happening is gathering spots in a way. Now you know, there's almost like modern day food court type of things where yeah, there's uh there we're getting a new place, two of them in Winterhaven that are sort of outdoor common, you know, area with venue for live music and, you know, tables and picnic tables and, you know, that stuff where you can kind of gather with a bunch of people, but, you know, five or six restaurant concept, almost like food trucks or whatever, but uh, like in places where you can go and have, you know, five or six different food restaurant mm-hmm. choice rather than g- each of them opening up an individual restaurant. They're yeah. sharing a common experience and they're architecturally, they're really, you know, they're reclaiming like, you know, old like warehouse space and things that yeah. are, they're uh, making them really architecturally interesting. And you know, integrating outdoor space to make them yeah, really, really like uh, you want to uh, be there. Interesting.
1: I was thinking about that this morning because on Richmond Street West. So if you remember your map, Portland, where Portland Street is the North South Street and then you have Portland mm-hmm. and a lot of restaurants. So it's just, you know, it's it's north of Adelaide, Adelaide Street. OK, mm-hmm. so and then you have Richmond and but what's really interesting? There's a whole factory, old factory that was taken over, and it was gutted, and it's a it's a food center, just like you say, with lots. Of, but the anchor restaurant in there is Suser Lee. Okay, so you can yeah, just I was going to say, say just, a,
0: I just read about the I, I just read about Suser Lee. Yeah,
1: yeah, and so you know the rent he was paying rent on just on King Street. So he you know he's. He's jumped out. His lease came up and he jumped and they offered him to become the anchor rest. So he'll have his whole restaurant in there. But instead of it being out on the outside is the rest of the food court with, you know, smaller restaurants and their seating areas out in the center, but he's got his own seating area. Like it's like a patio, but it's so we were thinking about going there this week because it just opened in July and we hadn't, Right, we wouldn't have gone there for the sake of the food court, but we would go there because that's where Caesar is. Yeah,
0: that's really interesting because I just like. Uh, well, I
1: mean, it's tot- It's totally what you're. It's totally what yeah. you're
0: talking about. And it's just so funny that you mentioned that specific place because I was just on Toronto Life this morning looking mm-hmm. at that because I often go there just to see keep up with what's going on. And I saw this about about Lee's new place. So yeah, that is funny. But so that is kind of like now bringing. It's almost like bringing back to the mainland being the because that's a mainland experience. You know, digitize that. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, really and, I mean, there's just, a, and uh, there's enormous condo building going on in that area. So, they, they, you know, the residential population is always going up in that area. As a matter of fact, Sue, yeah. Sasha Kersmer, Sasha, I think you know Sasha, you might. Sasha is tw- almost 20 years in coach. Mm-hmm. He's the number one site surveying company in yeah. Toronto. Okay. Yeah. So nothing, no project starts until the site survey is approved right. uh, by city official, city officials. And he's got roughly 80% of all the site survey projects in the city right now. I mean, he's just the mm-hmm. dominant. Uh, and uh, he said that basically from the plan for Toronto is from the lake going north. If you have Jarvis on the east and you have Bathurst on the West okay so you can think of all the streets in there that would go there from there to basically 4th Street Davenport you know Yorkville okay. yeah it'll look like a mini it'll look like a mini Manhattan Island in 30 40 years
0: yeah wow that's very interesting it'll be all high' high-rise high yeah there's lots of but you know and that's kind of the thing is being able to see that if you just look with the with your you know 2040 goggles on to see where that's heading yeah that's right 2050 sure. 2060 you know and yeah. everything like that yeah. but,
1: but but the other thing is toronto is becoming very quickly a, a major industrial city mm. between here and uh, so here on lake huron it's all the way to the bridge across to the United States at Buffalo, or at uh, yeah. you know, at you know the bridge at right. St. Mm-hmm. Catharines that, go, that right. goes across, and then in Western oh, okay. Ontario, the Windsor-Chatham yeah. area, to go across the Ambassador Bridge in Detroit, mm-hmm. and half the Canadian GDP, GB, GDP you uh-huh. know, money in, money off, goes across those two bridges every year. Yeah. That's half the Canadian yeah. economy. And he said the price of industrial land from here to Niagara Falls is just going through the roof. And he said things yeah. that were plotted out as residential areas, you know, single family residential areas, yeah. they're getting outpriced in the market now by the industrial competitors. And there, it makes sense, too, if the Canadian dollar remains always weaker against the American dollar. It's, you know, it's $30.34 today, you know, so there's always this big differential between the, because the U.S. is much more powerful economy, you know, it's got nine times the population, you know, it's got nine times, it's got probably 10 times the consumption dollars that are available uh, in all areas of business. So, so, you know, you'll have an American factory. And they say, we're going to put a factory near Toronto on the Canadian side, and we're going to manufacture everything, paying Canadian prices for the manufacturing, yeah. Yeah. but wow. selling it into the United States, bringing it back from the United States. Wait a minute. That's your playbook.
0: <laughs> Don't let anyone, that sounds like your playbook. Uh, it's right there.
1: Uh. Oh, Mr. Sullivan, this is Revenue Canada. We want to have a chat with you.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's funny. I
1: was listening to I was listening to Cloudlandia. (laughs) Oh man, that's funny. I get more tricks from Cloudlandia
0: than anything else I listen and watch. (laughs) Uh,
1: I wonder, you know,
0: if it's so. uh, I I think now a lot of this industrialization or re re reindustrialization is it. Do you think driven by Automation, like robotics and you know automating no. manufacturing processes that or what is it do you think well
1: like, I would say half that half rental. of it uh, half of it is we can't trust China for anything in the future right. and everything that's being manufactured in china we've got to bring it back, and since we're moving it out of China, we can get the same kind of deals in Mexico or even in yeah the middle of the United States, and it will be. 21st century industrial industry, you know, be 21st century. The U.S. has the greatest skilled population in the world. A lot of people don't think that's true, but, but hands down at all levels of the economy, the United States has more educated skilled work per capita than any, you know, any other country in the world. So the U.S., there's factories in the U.S. that can produce it at the same, and it's Skilled labor plus automation. So automation is definitely I would say it's twenty percent of it. But Mm -hmm. also making your stuff really close to your
0: customers has enormous savings.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's fascinating times, Dan. I mean, if you're thinking I have really been thinking about if we are at a plateau. Period. Well, I think the,
1: I mean, if it costs more for money, if it costs more for transportation, it costs more for energy, and it costs more for labor, uh-huh. things are going to slow down. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and just that welding example I gave you of the 18 year old who can be making, I mean, yeah. uh, somebody goes to, you know, university for, for, and uh, learns a lot of theory and is, yeah. uh, you know, is maybe fifty or sixty thousand dollars in debt at the end of four years, the mm-hmm. person at eighteen who became a welder is already
0: buying their first house. You know, they're yeah you know, exactly. They're, like think about how when you take the you know when you take the net difference between them investing four years with no income and going into debt to get a degree that gets them. An entry-level job when they get out with that degree, yeah. compared to coming into a training program and making sixty thousand, and at the end of the four years making a hundred thousand and not having any debt, you're so much further ahead on that foundation. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think there's going to be an explosive growth of community colleges that are integrated with the local business. You know, they. Basic industrial population and everything else. So there's about I checked the numbers about two years ago. Number of community colleges in the U.S. and these would be ma- these would be mainly two year two year community yeah. colleges. And there was just under just under a thousand. And two things I think are going to happen. That number will probably jump to two thousand over the next twenty five years. But mm-hmm. even the thousand that exist will double their size. They'll double their
0: en- enrollment. Yeah. That's interesting. And I wonder, though, if they're, you know, I guess like, because they're like, doing you, like, uh, Yeah. I mean, the, you have
1: like George Brown in, in Toronto and you have, there's about, there's probably about four community colleges that would, what you would call a community college in the United States, there'd be them in the Toronto area. And they. They're at maximum, you know, they're at maximum enrollment. As a matter of fact, they have waiting lists now to get in, you know, and mm-hmm. it's all skilled. You know, it's all skilled trade. Yeah. You come out being able to, you graduate on a Friday and you go to work on Monday. Yeah. The employers come to the colleges and they interview All Yeah, you know, work interviews are in your, while you're at college, you're being interviewed. And some of you, you're actually working at the place while you're in college. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, uh, yeah. And so I think that whole notion, <clears throat> yeah. it doesn't matter how much you spend on college, you'll get paid, you know, you'll get paid in the future, you know, you'll be able to pay it off easily in the future. I think that ended in 08, actually, with the downturn there. And I think that that was a huge interruption in the connection between higher education and future employment. And I think mm-hmm. that COVID put the nail in the coffin to that proposition.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I remember hearing Sheridan College, I guess, is, one, is a, yeah, Sher- one the one. Yeah, Sheridan is one of the
1: community. Yeah. yeah and I'm I remember Sheridan. they
0: were, that was like the Sheridan animators were really in demand, that there was one of the places yeah. where, you know, Disney yeah. and others were, Pixar, were hiring you know all the newly minted, you know, digital animators yeah. that were coming out of the yeah. program. I yeah. guess Ryerson has been another one of those, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, there's a new sound studio, mostly post production. One of them is just building new studios in our building, but they're for mm-hmm. they're not they're not for live, you know, live production. They're post production, so they have editing mm-hmm. studios, and and but right behind us, so. Fraser is the front street for us, but behind us is one called Pardee, which is basically a parking lot. And way at the end, they have a, a live production studio. Mm-hmm. While we're, ours will start being built in September, and we'll have it in about six months, mm-hmm. based on all the great input by your guy there in Orlando you know yeah, we've designed it. we can handle six different people at the same time six different studios production. being used yeah. at the same time Pro- production wow. but if next you know next march next april yeah uh, you know i'm going to live a long time what six months you know right uh, exactly anyway, yeah yeah <laughs> anyway but i went over and we did a our, our recording of the quarterly book because you need real top-notch studio for uh, yeah. for it to go audible and uh, and it was really great. But the uh, the guy who was handling this was a graduate from Sheridan
0: College. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm really this is my thought for I'm going to do some thinking about, you know, establishing this thought. If we are in Slowing a
1: down. plateau
0: period, if we are in a yeah. slowdown, but in a plateau period of what is going to be the, you know, what's shaping up here to do that same I love looking. I'm just going to put a tool together, macro level, like Uh,
1: that. Yeah, I'm I'm going to do a little thinking tool on the four slowdowns. Uh You know, you know, money, energy, transportation, labor, and I'm just going to have our clients go through it and say, if this is the obstacle, then what's the transformation? You know, Uh and so and how do you take advantage of the four slowdowns? I Uh think it's a neat idea. I do, too. Absolutely. I can't wait. I love it. Well, what a great way to spend a late morning on Sunday.
0: I can't think of any better way. This is like the perfect And there's no collection basket. There's
1: no collection. No collection
0: basket. basket. Maybe we should set some in, though, with that. Oh, Oh, there we go.
1: Yeah. Anyway, we could have we could have a digital collection basket at the end. You know? There we go.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: That's yeah. so funny. If this was useful, just you know, put your card up to, next to the scanner, and you know. <laughs> that's so good. I love it. No need to make change.
0: And uh, no, exactly. Uh, okay. That's so funny. All right.
1: I'm good for next Sunday, and I'll be back mm, here. You
0: too. I wouldn't miss it. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Dan.